Well, good morning, Calvary Souderton. As Justin mentioned, my name is Logan. I'm usually up at our Quakertown campus. I'm our director of students for that campus, but it's great to be here with you all this morning. And I also want to welcome anyone who's watching online or from another location. It's great to have you with us as well. We're in a series that we're calling The King. We are looking at the book of Matthew, which is a gospel or a, it's kind of like a biography that a guy named Matthew wrote about Jesus. And we're calling it The King because Matthew's gospel traces Jesus' lineage to a lot of the Old Testament Israelite kings that if you were with us in the fall, we took a look at in our Make Way series. And not only does he do that, but he kind of shows how Jesus is the last and final king. Because of who Jesus was and is and what he did, there wasn't any more need for kings. Jesus was and is the last and final king. And if you've been with us at any point, we've been journeying along in our book of Matthew, and we're going to continue that today. But before we do that, I want to start and ask this question. Have you heard of the phrase, or maybe, I'm pretty sure we've all heard of it, so where have you heard of the phrase, ready, set, go? Maybe some of you think of a race, whether it's a car race, or a track meet, or a swim meet. I wasn't a superstar athlete or anything growing up, so my mind actually jumps to something that I did when I was growing up. I was a musician, I played in band, uh, in middle school, high school, college, and our version of Ready, Set, Go, even though those words won't, weren't used, and if you were a musician growing up or are a musician currently, you know that musicians, to get ready, players have to get their instruments out. They have to tune, so you'll see the band come up, and they'll kind of get ready, and they'll kind of tune everything and make sure everything's in order. And if you play in a band or an orchestra, they're led by a conductor who leads the group. And the conductor will come up, and what they'll do, whether it's a rehearsal or a concert, they'll raise their baton up in the air. And that's the cue for everyone to get set. The instrumentalists will raise their horns up to their mouth, whatever they play. And that's how you know it's time to get set when the conductor raises his baton. And of course, when the conductor gives his downbeat, that means it's time to go and play the piece of music. So in what we're going to look at today in Matthew, Jesus is kind of doing that for his disciples. We've kind of looked at some ways he's been getting them ready for the first nine chapters, and now we're going to see us transition into the get set and the go piece. We're actually going to see his disciples go out. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to start there, but we're going to go into chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have a hard copy, we'd love to give you one. We believe that the Bible is full of life-changing truths. So if you would like your own hard copy of a Bible, you can stop by the hub. They'd love to hook you up with one. Or you can go on your phone or your tablet. There is uh, the YouVersion app is the app that we recommend. You can follow along there as well. And I'm also going to read along if you just want to listen. So this is starting in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. So Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, who this is the Matthew who wrote this. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And these twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go out among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So this is Jesus saying, hey, get set and go to his 12, the 12 who were his first disciples, and go out to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim the good news about the last and final king, me, Jesus. It's me. I'm the fulfillment of all these things that you've read about. And what I kind of notice about that is Jesus says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he kind of gives a prayer. And then he kind of answers his own prayer by calling his disciples in and sending them out. But when he calls those disciples in, the list is, well, it's, it's ordinary people. It's fishermen. It's a tax collector. It's, it's a freedom fighter. That's what a zealot means. It's not like he picked the all-star team that we would expect. This would kind of be like if all the other players on the Lakers got hurt and LeBron James called me and the like three other people in the band to come play basketball to compete in the NBA Finals. You'd be like, what are you doing, LeBron? I'm not a good basketball player. But Jesus picked these ordinary people And how would they carry out this mission? Are they really ready? Are they really set? Are these, can these ordinary people do what Jesus is asking them to do? And what Jesus goes on to tell his 12 disciples there is the answer is yes, I've chosen you for a reason. And throughout the rest of this chapter, I kind of noticed two overarching themes or phrases that Jesus gives to his disciples. And the first one is this. He tells his disciples, you have everything that you need. You don't need to be an all-star superstar. You have everything that you need. So picking up reading in verse 8, he says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. So if you were with us earlier in our The King series, if you remember chapters 8 and 9, Jesus raised the dead. Jesus healed lepers. Jesus did these things that he's now telling his disciples to do. In this chapter, in chapter 10, he's telling them, I'm giving you the authority to do the things that I'm doing. And he also says, don't take much with you. Depend on God to provide for you as you go from town to town, and he will provide for you. To sum it up, you have everything you need, both physically and spiritually. You have everything you need. Now, that was for that kind of current, immediate mission, but what about the future missions that the disciples would go on? Well, Jesus uh, picks up in verse 17 here, 
And he says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils. You will be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And again, this is moving on to what's in store beyond this immediate mission for the disciples. What's in their future? So Jesus says, hey, you will be arrested. You will be punished. They're going to think I'm a heretic. Even though I'm not, they're going to think I'm a heretic. And they might think you're one too. But again, Jesus is telling them, you have everything you need. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And because of this, my good news about me being the last and final king, this will spread to not just the Jewish people, but to all people groups. But wait, that kind of sounds intense, like being arrested, being flogged, being beat up. I don't, I don't know about that. But that leads into the second kind of overarching theme or phrase that I noticed Jesus used. And, and he actually uses this phrase specifically, and that's the phrase of don't be afraid. And in this next section that I'm about to read, he actually says this three different times to his disciples. In verse 26, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of them, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or nothing hidden that will not be made known. In verse 28, he says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And then he gives this analogy in verse 29 and going forward. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So again, going through each of those one by one, Jesus says, don't be afraid because the truth is going to come out about me. It's going to be known by everyone. And these charges they're going to bring against me and they're going to bring against you, they're false. You know what the truth is about me. So don't be afraid. And then a second time, he says, don't be afraid because other humans are in charge of eternal life. He's telling the disciples to be courageous. You will be rewarded for your perseverance. Your eternal life is secure. And then he says one more time, don't be afraid. You are worthy and you are valued in your Father's eyes. Jesus is saying, if God the Father is sovereign over the little sparrows, the little birds, if he's sovereign and he knows how many hairs are on each of your heads, he's aware of what you'll go through. And you can go without fear when persecution comes. Something that I think really sums this chapter up well, and again, I didn't read the whole thing. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing on your own this week and see kind of what different themes or phrases you pull out from Jesus' teaching here. But I think, again, this sums it up really well in verses 38 and 39. He says to his disciples, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake 
will find it. And we're going to read later on in the Gospel of Matthew that on the cross, Jesus does this. Jesus lovingly lays down his life. He lays down his own will for the will of those, or for, the, for, for those 12 disciples. He lays down his own will for the will of his Father because of the love he has, not just for those 12 disciples, but for all people. And he calls his disciples to do the same now on that immediate mission, and he calls them to do the same in their future missions. And what he's telling his disciples is, hey, you might lose blank, fill in the blank. You might lose time. You might lose a lot of possessions. You might even lose your life. But what you're going to gain from following me is infinitely and significantly better than what you might stand to lose. Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be afraid. You're ready. You're set. I've given you everything you need. You're going to have everything you need. And all you need to do now is to go. Well, what about us today? What about us today who call ourselves followers or disciples of Jesus? Because reading this, this is kind of like reading a, a direct message that Jesus sent or an email that Jesus sent to his 12 disciples. That was for them. That was their immediate mission and that was their future mission. So what does it look like for us here in Souderton, watching online, wherever you are, to take up our cross and follow Jesus? How do we get ready and set to go? Well, it might not look the same as the disciples' first mission. It might not look the same as what their future missions were. But the calling to take up our cross and proclaim the kingdom of God, it's still the same. And taking up our cross means we're called to give up our time and our talents and our treasures to carry out this mission of Jesus, to continue what he started for the sake of the other people in our lives. And like those 12 disciples, we can be assured that we'll be ready and set with everything that we need. Remember those 12 disciples. They were ordinary people. They were fishermen. They were accountants. They were, uh, one of them betrayed Jesus. One of them didn't carry out the mission. And look at those mistakes that some of those 12 disciples made. Peter, which I think we'll read about in Matthew later on, goes on to deny Jesus three times. One disciple, Thomas, he's most famous for doubting that Jesus said what he would do. He doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. What an awful legacy to leave. But he too, Thomas was still a part of that mission to continue what Jesus started. And he was playing a part in spreading the good news throughout the world at that time. And just like his original 12, Jesus calls all kinds of imperfect people today. Jesus calls all kinds of people with different gifts and different abilities. And yes, even different faults and imperfections. All of those people he calls to play a part in his mission today. And some people he'll send halfway across the world. Most of us will probably just send across the street. 
During our COVID pandemic right now, he might even send people to our computers, to our Zoom calls, to our phones. But it's not about the size of the part that each and every one of us play. A lot of those disciples, we don't know a lot about. Sure, we know about, you know, Matthew because he wrote a book and we know about some of the other more famous disciples, but there's some of those disciples in that list we don't know a lot about. By earthly standards, they played a small part, but they still played a part. It's not about the size of the part. We all have an important part to play in continuing what Jesus started and continuing this mission. If you've been around with us for the last couple weeks, you've probably heard about some of the serving opportunities we have here in our kids' ministry and our bridge ministry. And there's lots of ways as we continue to open up, there will be lots of ways to continue to get involved. Or if you're at home and you're like, I can't be here, I got to stay home still for a little bit more. There's lots of ways to get involved in your community. Or like I said, maybe it's just calling someone on your phone or texting someone or getting a Zoom call out just to encourage someone. Something that Charles always reminds me and all of us of is the goers can't go without the givers, people who give. And something that we all can do, whether we're going or we're giving or we're just thinking about and starting to pray about where we might go, is to pray for this mission. That is such an important first step for all of us to take. And again, there might be opportunities to continue this mission inside of Calvary, outside of Calvary. Don't know where that is. But to pick up our cross to follow him, we will have to give up something. We'll have to give up time. Maybe we'll have to give up some of our possessions. But Jesus promises to give us everything we need. And just like he told his disciples, what we will gain from following Jesus, what we will gain from continuing his mission is infinitely greater than what we might stand to lose. And we don't have to be afraid. Just like Jesus told his disciples, don't be afraid. The same phrase, the same command is there for us. Don't be afraid. If these things happen to Jesus, if these things happen to his 12 disciples, then we shouldn't be afraid Or we shouldn't be surprised, excuse me, if the same happens to us. Now, this doesn't mean we will, we're guaranteed to be arrested. This doesn't mean we're guaranteed to be punished. All Christians won't die. All Christians won't be imprisoned. Some might, but others won't. But we might experience some persecution in our lives. Now, let me explain what I don't mean by that. I don't mean we need to seek out false persecutions to validate this. So I'm getting kind of hungry right now, and I would love to hop in my car and go to Chick-fil-A. And maybe some of you guys have had this experience where you've been like, yes, post-church Chick-fil-A, love Chick-fil-A, this is going to be great. And you drive in, and there's an empty parking lot, and you're like, there's no drive through line for the first time in the history of Chick-fil-A. This is amazing. And you realize it's Sunday. And Chick-fil-A is closed and you're like, oh, why am I persecuted? Now that's a ridiculous example, but you get what I mean by that, okay? We don't have to like seek out false persecutions, but it does mean that some of us might experience some of the same things that the disciples experienced. And that's not something that we experience a lot here in our town, in our country, But it is definitely something that other Christians across the world are experiencing right now. 
As I was doing some research on this, I actually found a place in the world that I wouldn't have thought, but a place where Christianity is spreading rapidly right now. And that's in the country of Iran. Iran is a country where they don't have free speech like we do. Iran is the country where they can't worship God publicly like we can. In some cases, the Christians in Iran, they are being arrested. They are being killed. And they're in a global pandemic and having to deal with those challenges just like we are. But in that country, through the efforts of ordinary, imperfect people, the gospel is spreading so rapidly. Some experts believe that's where the gospel of Jesus is actually spreading the fastest in the world. And some experts believe that in the past five years, Christianity in Iran has grown from about 60,000 followers to 1 million followers in the last five years. And one of the most like repressive countries pretty much on earth when it comes to free speech and worshiping God. And that is only because of the grace of God and the efforts, again, of ordinary, imperfect people who have made that decision to say what we will gain from this is infinitely greater than what we stand to lose. And to take up our cross and follow him, we are declaring that we're not afraid. We don't have to be afraid of what might happen to us on this earth because what is in store for us and what we will gain is greater. And all of this means that God is sovereign and we can trust in God's sovereignty. We can trust that he's aware. We can trust that he's in control of what's happening all over the world and in our lives as well. And I know that's kind of easy for me to stand up here and say, and I know a little bit about some of your stories. I certainly don't know everything about all of your stories. But I imagine that this has been a hard year. It has been a hard year for a lot of us in here. And even through all the hardships that have happened in my life in the past year, I have been reminded of God's faithfulness and his sovereignty over and over again. And that doesn't mean the hard things instantly went away. And that doesn't mean those struggles went away. But it does mean that God is still who he says he is. And he is still sovereign and in control. We don't have to be afraid when we're carrying out this mission. And what we will gain from following Jesus is greater than what we might lose. So the message to us is kind of the same as it was to those 12 disciples. Don't be afraid. You are ready and set with everything that you need. All you have to do now is go. So as we get ready to go on with our weeks here, I have two things that I want all of us to think about. The first is think about what that really means for you to take up your cross And follow him. You can be honest about what you stand to lose. You can be honest if maybe that's never something you've thought about doing before or done before. But I want to encourage you and say many others have counted that cost and decided that it's worth it. Will you? And the second thing I want us all to think about is where is Jesus sending not just us, you know, collectively as Calvary Church, Souderton Online for our, our Quakertown friends who are up there meeting today, but 
Where is Jesus sending each of us as individuals to? Again, is he sending you across the street? Is he sending you to Zoom or to uh, iMessage or FaceTime to encourage someone, to talk with someone? Is he sending you somewhere in the community? Wherever Jesus is sending you, wherever that is, remember his words to the disciples today. The kingdom is near. Don't be afraid. You are ready and set with everything that you need. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for the words of Jesus here today, the words he sent to those 12 disciples, the example that they gave as they just went. Jesus said, go, and they said, okay, yes, we're going. And what a reminder of those 12 people who who changed the world because of what they did. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each and every one of us where you'd like to send us. Lord, whether it's here at Calvary or whether it's in our community somewhere, I pray that you would just reveal to us where you would like us to go. And when we're unsure or or we're nervous or we are afraid, I pray that you would remind us that we do have everything that we need to carry out this mission. And that's only because of you. And we praise you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.